I'm just here. I'm just here. I'm just here to have a conversation. But do 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 Welcome to Spark in the Dark. I'm your host, Dan Matha. I'm extremely honored and privileged to be able to bring to you Finn Balor in studio today, ladies and gentlemen. I'm grateful to be able to call him a colleague, but even more grateful to be able to call Finn a friend. I really admire and look up to this dude, and I just couldn't be more thrilled to have him on the show. Finn is one of the greatest sports entertainers on the planet. That's not even arguable. Uh, but more importantly, Finn is one of the great human beings. And I just think, I think the world would be a better place if we had more Finn Balors. And not so much him exactly, you know, we, we need variety, but people that look at life through the same lens as him. So, you know, we open up the conversation with, you know, we start talking about rom-coms, you know, real manly shit, emotions. We dive into uh, traveling, the lust, the wonder lust. Then we dive into Finn's illustrious career from his humble beginnings in Ireland to the UK to all the way to Japan to here in the United States with the WWE where he just took that entire body of work and just magnified himself on the world's largest scale. And in that process, Finn talks about something that I think everybody will be able to take something from no matter what your passions or endeavors are. Skill acquisition, staying humble in the learning process, not just, you know, we get to a point when we when we start learning that we think we know and we don't ever go back to the fundamentals. He, he brings up a very solid point about always revisiting the fundamentals and learning them, you know, being humble in the sense of you never know who or where you could learn something new from. Whether they're a beginner, novice, or a master expert and everybody in between, you never know where or what you could learn something from. And he just does a fantastic job of explaining the importance of that. We dive into uh, his very first WrestleMania and how he made that moment instead of making it about himself. Because in pro wrestling, WrestleMania is it. It is the biggest moment in a pro wrestler's career. And he could have made it about himself very easily so, and nobody would have thought, second a second a thought about it but he made it he decided to be inclusive and include a group of people that needed attention that needed love and he didn't you know it was just it was just super dope and it was just super awesome and i was you know as an outsider it's just it was very like wow this dude is just a special human being and he talks about that we dive into, uh, we really dive into, oh yeah, this is, was uh, one of the big ones. We talked about life, why we were here, the purpose of all of it. And I try to do the best I can do with my monkey brain to explain it. And he does the best he can to explain it. And I, uh, I thought we did a, you know, cool thought experiment there in this episode. This, like I said, super excited about this episode. 
honored privilege to be able to bring it to you and, and listening back and editing this thing made me feel like I was right there having it again. So I can't wait for you guys to listen to it. And, uh, so I'm going to stop talking and you guys can just listen to it. <laughs> so without any further ado, spark in the dark. Well, I love your setup, dude. Yeah, dude. So I took, it took me a, probably about eight months to figure this thing out. Uh-huh. And I had these, uh, what do you call it? I had, I actually bought a different like set in terms of audio interfaces. And it was just a real ball buster to kind of figure out. It was super not friendly not to like a newbie like because uh-huh. I, I don't know shit about so is this considered like newbie setup this looks like nasa to me man no well <laughs> so the roadcaster this particular product was probably the best six hundred dollars i ever spent okay um made for podcasters like they sat down with podcasters and were like yo how can we make this as simple and efficient uh-huh. for you as possible and they came up with this product and it's it really was a game changer for anybody that's looking to get into podcasting and uh-huh. doing any type of audio. Even if you're not doing podcasting, you're just doing solo camera shots. Like, cause you see the people on YouTube and Twitch now doing yep. all that stuff. This thing is just, it just makes everything so clear. It helps, uh, with the sound compressing sound. It, it just, all the tech nerd stuff that you'd need to spend a lot of time in school. This can kind of almost, hyperdrive that learning wow. curve for you well to tell you how bad at tech i am i was live on fox sports last night on zoom and i had the mute button on <laughs> <laughs> so i'm talking away talking away like finn i i think you got your your phone on mute can, can, can you press the screen on the bottom left hand corner there's a little red button hit that you'll unmute yourself i'm like oh um oh hi guys <laughs> <laughs> and then you're trying to remember what you said oh. in that process yeah it was nothing important anyway. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about wrestling. <laughs> Dude, every... <laughs> I've, I feel like that sometimes. Um, they uh, Technology and Zoom and stuff is just like... Zoom in particular is... Uh, almost what, like, what made Zoom like completely take over that market? Like Because it was FaceTime, Skype, all these other... like platforms that were available for years and then i feel like covid came in and just zoom right i think so i think zoom it, it, it's not necessarily the most user-friendly uh-huh. i think facetime is the most user-friendly but facetime is so it's just only if you have ios only if you have apple product yeah so you limit the market right there uh-huh. and then the lockdown came through and everybody had to figure out, you know, because people can't stop working. Yep. So people had to figure out how to keep working. And Zoom just right place, right time. Marketing kicked in and just everybody could use it. And 
people started putting YouTube videos up on like tutorials on how to use it. Cause that's huge is if you can get influencers on YouTube to do a tutorial on your product, uh-huh. you're in the marketplace. So I think that that was just a perfect storm, right place, right time. And it just, it was something that was needed. And people just were like, oh, here it is. I was hearing these stories about like, ah, people are getting together, having Zoom parties. Like, you know, you can't see your buddy. So you just drink at home, but you put everyone on Zoom on on your computer. (laughs) Sounds awful. It does sound (laughs) awful. But I go home, I shut the door and be left alone. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I, dude, I go crazy with, uh, I go crazy with technology, like, if I'm on my fo- if I'm on my phone too much, I know, because I start getting anxious uh-huh. and like I can't focus and my emote like I get frustrated easier. I can't um, my ability to like focus on other tasks yep. goes down the drain and yeah. I just I'm like uh and I just throw that thing and then I, I just don't look at it for the rest of the day. Uh, I'm a list maker. I make lists of all the stuff that I have to do, but like if you have your phone, you're just. But I've tried to reduce it as much as I can. Some days I've got like four hours screen time for the week. You know, you get that like notification mm-hmm. at the end of the week. It was your, your total screen time has been four hours. So like, that's pretty good for a week. But Hell yeah, that's really yeah. good for a week, dude. <laughs> but, but I think that's like when you're at home and you're busy with your own stuff and like living your life. But I feel like when we were on the road traveling, you're just like living in your phone, everything. Find Whole Foods, find coffee, find a gym, find a hotel check Twitter, check Instagram, and it was just like a constant cycle. I'd say it was probably like 23 hours a day Jesus. of screen time. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, uh, when you're on the road too, there's that like added travel time where you're just, sometimes you're just, you're stuck on a bus or you're stuck oh, on a yeah. plane yeah. and then it's just like dead time. I remember when I was, like when I started wrestling and I started traveling, that like the airplane was like the hardest part because it was so boring. You know, and if you didn't have good movies, you were like, oh, this flight's so long. But I feel like 20 years have passed now since I've been doing it. And now you just got your phone. You're like, the travel time became like the fun part where like you got to text all your buddies back, like catch up on all your emails, like check everything. And like, like talking about the lists and me making lists. I was like, okay, text it back JP in London, text it back Sean in Ireland, text it back everyone. And like, it's became the travel time became like enjoyable in the sense of being able to like handle all of your other responsibilities outside of the wrestling because you've got literally nothing else to do you know you, you can't work out you're sitting in an airplane you can't do anything so it was either like read a book or or, or text all your buddies you know you're almost like forced to yeah like you're you're locked into yeah. a space and it's like yo get shit done talk or about, just sit here and do nothing talk about getting locked into a space you ever watch a movie on an airplane and notice how emotional you can get. Mm-hmm. Dude, I cry on airplanes all the time watching movies. Elf. I watched Elf when they all sing Jingle Bells at the end and Santa starts to fly. I cried. <laughs> it was a, a movie, Sea Biscuit, where they're like uh, it's about a horse. Like, of course, I cry. Any sort of movie, I'll cry my eyes out. That's so I've had like discussions with Sami Zayn about this. And about like how you're more emotionally available on airplanes. And there's a couple of theories. His theory is way out there. He says that like, because we're, you know, what is it like 80% water or something like that? The human body is 80% water and the moon affects the tides. 
well, we're closer to the moon, so in theory it's affecting the, the fluids in her body, and, and that's why we're more emotionally available. I spoke to this other guy, like uh, he was an acting coach, Howard Stern. He came to the Performance Center one time. We had a discussion about it, and he talks about like how... Howard Fine. Is, yeah. yeah. What did I say? St Howard Stern. <laughs> <laughs> the sex radio host. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of it's the same. All, yeah, it's but, all the same shit. Yeah, so, so he was saying like how... When you're in a, a state of like transition where you're either normally going from home to work or work to home or like it's can be like an emotional process and you can be more emotionally available because of what you're thinking. Oh, I'm going home to family or you're leaving family and you're going to work or you're going to this new like exciting adventure. So, but I've always been so interested, like any movie at all, I'll cry my eyes out on the airplane. I'll be like, you know, wiping the tears away, and the person uh -huh. next to me like, "What the hell is up with that guy? Is he okay?" <laughs> I wonder. I wonder also if it has something to do with when you're traveling, especially in an airplane, because it. I think we get numb to it because mm -hmm. we fly and travel so much. But flying in an airplane is a stressful situation oh, for a lot of people. Yeah, so stressful. So you get locked. Your your uh, parasympathetic system is yep. just like. You're just up through the roof, right? Uh -huh. And your like nerves are jacked. And even if you're you're used to it, like we are, I think still it's it, you know there's something happening in your body. You're flying thirty thousand feet in the yeah. air. You're in a pressurized aluminum tube. Uh -huh. You're also probably more focused because you are so locked in, like it, we said. Yeah, I think that's definitely pays like some part of the process with being like so emotional. But I think what you're saying is true, like. We take for granted how stressful it is, like going through security, get, even getting there on time, finding a parking spot, getting through security, checking your bags, all this stuff. And then finally, like, you sit down and, like, you put on a rom-com and it's just like, oh, this is what life's supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> Bro, when you get on the plane, nothing is more relieving than when you finally get through, get through security, get through the gate, get onto the plane and into your seat and you're just like, yeah. Just yeah. like I made it. <laughs> so, are you? Are you? Uh, do you line up to get on the plane, or do you wait till everyone else is on and then just get on? I wait. Yeah, I'm the same. Because it's like my spot's not going anywhere. Yeah. The less time I'm on that plane, the better. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a big waiter. I wait at the gate, let everyone else go on. Once or twice, I've actually almost missed a plane because like I fall asleep at the gate. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll board up through last call. I'll be literally sitting at the gate. <laughs> That would be the worst way to miss a flight uh, is like be there and then like fall asleep. I'll tell you a story. We were in Buffalo, New York, and it was me and Hawkins. We were riding together and we were flying back to New York City after a raw. So it was like a Tuesday morning at like 6 a.m. And we're, we're at the airport and we see Heath Slater at another gate, like three gates down. And there was nobody to his gate. So we said, oh, let's go over and talk to Heath. We'll kill some time. We've got like an hour to wait. So we go over and talk to Heath. We're shooting the shit for a while, whatever, whatever. We look over at our gate. There's nobody there. We're like, oh, maybe they moved the gate. So like Hawkins like runs over and checks it out. They've shut the doors. So we're literally, dude, it's a window like this behind you. We're banging on the window. Someone comes up like the, the jet bridge. They open the door and he goes, hey, we were calling you guys for like, for like 30 minutes. You guys not hear us? Like, no, we didn't hear. <laughs> so like we literally almost missed the flight. We were there an hour and 30 minutes beforehand just because of heat's later. But they fought, thankfully they let us on. But we were blessed, man. Dude, 
<laughs> I, so like I've never heard a story of some when the door closes of anybody getting on. Yeah. So you got Jesus. Yes, we couldn't believe it, but it was like a it was a small flight. We were like had a lot of like I guess pull with the airline. We were like right. the flyer miles, so I guess they didn't want to leave us behind or bump us. There was no flight out to like eight p.m. or something. Regardless, we're banging, of, we're banging, we're banging on the, the wind, we're banging on the door, and then they opened the door and let us in. It was great, dude. Rom coms though. P.S. P.S. I love you. Yeah, that probably is the one that yeah. has done me in the hardest. Yeah, that's actually shot like in the surrounding areas of where I grew up. Was it really? Yeah. yeah. Um, is Gerard Butler? Is he? Is is he Irish? He's Scottish. Scottish. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm not sure if he's from Edinburgh or Glasgow, but he's he's Scottish, and he was like a super late to the party like actor. Like I think he was he had a regular job. And maybe like in his late twenties, he said, "Ah, oh, fuck this! I want to be an actor." And I think he moved to London and started acting. And good for him, man! It it all came together. He got that three hundred yeah. roll and oh, rest is history. Yeah, what other rom coms are good, man? Anything with Hugh Grant, I like. Yeah. Um, Love Actually. I haven't seen that one. You like that one? I haven't oh, seen oh, it. Oh, dude, it's like. It's a rom-com based in England. There's kind of like five or six different stories going going at one time. They all come together at the end. Okay. It's Hugh Grant and a bunch of other people, but it's that's a good one if you check it out. And it's based around Christmas, so it's, oh, okay. it's even better. Christmas and rom-coms, what's better? Dude, I feel like because they, they nail you twice. They hit you with love, and then they hit you with that Christmas spirit, <laughs> yeah. bro. Yeah. And it's just like, man, I'm just getting hit yeah, all over like, the place. There's like five or six stories, but like you can relate to like each piece of each different story like from a different angle it's beautiful man yeah well i don't want to say it's beautiful it's a rom-com <laughs> but it's it's a great it's a great airplane movie dude dude did you always like rom-coms i'm not sure i'm not sure what i always liked but definitely like in my mid to late 20s like they were always on the airplanes always and it, oh there's a great one the family stone have you seen that mm -hmm. with like um owen wilson's brother Oh, okay. And and the girl from Sex and the City. That's a great one. The Jessica family. Sarah Parker? Yes. Okay. That's dude, that's a great one. That's kinda of, it's almost like an American version of Love Actually. And it's based at Christmas too, a family all returning home, but ah, oh, dude. So good. Yeah, I feel like there was like a certain age that I hit. Cause like before I was like too tough. Yeah. And manly, right? Yeah. To be yeah. caught watching that shit. I think it's when you finally start believing in love and you don't really want anything too serious like to with regards like the movie you just want like something easy to digest and not have to think about it too much but like real life situations not like you know star wars blasters and lightsabers and stuff, you know? <laughs> so, uh, tactical nukes and shit trying <laughs> yeah. to save the world yeah but honestly dude i like almost every genre of movies almost every genre so i got married to a, a mexican girl so I want to say the last year I've been watching like all like like Latin American movies and just reading the subtitles, but they're awesome, dude. And like Latin American movies, I don't want to talk shit about Hollywood or whatever or any anything because everything's got its good points and its bad points. But the way they tell the stories and like the cinematography in these movies, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't ask me any of the names because as soon as I watch them, they you know they fly out the window. There was one actually we watched last week and it was a boyfriend for my wife 
but I guess it's been remade a bunch of times and it's been remade here, but it was originally an Argentinian movie and it was in Buenos Aires or something. So like we watched the original. It was great, dude. Great. Okay. I'm going to have to check uh-huh. that out. I've been, uh, I've been trying to learn Spanish. Oh, dude. <laughs> and uh, so like my, my lady is mm-hmm. like, she's like half Spanish. Mm-hmm. So, and she speaks Spanish. So she's been like teaching yeah. me Spanish. Uh-huh. And then I downloaded uh, Duolingo. Okay. I've been kind of using that. Yeah. And I've been thinking I, whenever it becomes more accessible to start traveling, yep. I'm thinking about moving to a different country. And I'm thinking about moving somewhere in South America. Dude, Mexico City is my favorite place in the world. Really? It's unbelievable. The food, the, the people the culture, the architecture, the colors, the noise, the energy, the food. It's unbelievable, man. I, I love it. Love it. I might have to put that on, on one of my places. Yeah. Then. But honestly, anywhere in Mexico, it's such a beautiful country, dude. I love it down there. I, I, like people used to always say, oh, where do you see yourself living? Like when, when, you're, when you're done wrestling or what are you going to do? Are you going to stay, stay in America? And like I never really had like an idea because I'm Irish. All my family's in Ireland. I'm here by myself wrestling. So... If I finish wrestling, sure, I've got a couple of buddies, but there's nothing really that ties me to the States, right? right. So, like, met Veronica, we got married, and, like, now I'm like, oh, Mexico, I love it so much. She's got her family down there. So I think, like, dream scenario for me would be to, like, split the time 50-50 between Ireland and Mexico. Mexico. City. Yeah, yeah, and maybe, like, sprinkle in a little bit of the U.S. if I can, and maybe, maybe 30-30-30 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, but... Yeah, I love Mexico, man. You're uh this is something that I've noticed about you since I like I've, I've met you is like you not just because of wrestling, uh you like traveling, but like you have like a wandering, like a wanderer spirit where you like even when you have free time, you're traveling to different places. Yeah, so I don't know, man. I don't know. It's funny because I remember being a kid and like being like 14 and my aunt lived in Boston and it's very common for Irish people to emigrate to a different country. And I remember like my aunt emigrated to US and set up a life in Boston and had a family there. But I could never understand why she would like leave her home, leave her hometown, leave her family, everyone she knows and just leave it all behind. And I think like when I was 18 and I, I had to travel to UK to start wrestling. So I think like at, a, at 18, I started traveling so much that I've started to become more at home on the road, maybe because of the wrestling, but maybe because I was spending time by myself and not like surrounded by people that have like completely different interests than I do, you know, because in Ireland, Irish people are great, but they don't really think the same way. I think because of this obsession with wrestling and there was, there was no like wrestling culture at the time that, and I, even the people that were interested in it weren't interested in pursuing it, like at, at my age. So I felt like I had this urge to kind of want to travel and, and see different places. And yeah, man, pretty much since 18, I've been on the go. And apart from this COVID, like I've never been in... I had an argument with my wife the other day. I said, like, we were kind of just getting on each other's tits, basically. Just were around each other all the time. And I said, of course we're getting on each other's tits. We've been locked in this house essentially for six months neither of us have been in one place for six months in her life 
like you know we've, we're always traveling and working and doing whatever so like i don't know but i don't even know what we're talking about i love traveling yeah I, t- I took three months off wrestling last year and like people were like, oh man, it's gonna be good. You're gonna stay home, dude. I went to Mexico. I went to Japan. I went to Greece. I went to England. I went home to Ireland. Uh, we went to Bratislava. We went to Switzerland. So we just went as many places as possible. And I'd been gone like I want to say four months. But when I came back on NXT, I'd actually only returned to US like two days before. Okay. So I'd been like on the go. <laughs> so from the SummerSlam, like I peaced out. At SummerSlam on the on the Monday morning, I flew to Orlando, picked up my bags. Tuesday, flew to Mexico, and then we were on the road pretty much like me and her for almost three months. I think <laughs> I came back and went straight back to work. Yeah. Like, ah, oh, man, you must be really rested. Like, no, no, no. I actually came back to work to get a rest. <laughs> <laughs> you need a. You almost need a vacation from the vacation. I know. I did, man. How? Uh, when? So what time? So you said you had to travel to the UK yeah. from Ireland yeah. to start wrestling. Yeah. At what age was that? That was 18 years old. 18 years old. Yeah. So, so that's I, when you started wrestling? Yeah. yeah. So that was the year 2000. I had uh, just finished high school. We, we call it secondary school, but essentially it's high school. And it's at this point in your life where you get the opportunity to either enroll in college, which in Ireland it's kind of like state funded once you get like particular grades or... You know, you go and just get a job. And for me, I just didn't really want to do anything except be a wrestler and got a job at a train station to kind of fund this habit of, like, this hobby of, like, wanting to be a wrestler. So I'd work at the train station for, like, two weeks. I had a boss that was great. He let me take as much time off as I needed. I'd go to UK for two weeks, train there, and pretty much flip-flop back and forth. That was, like, for, like, three years. After three years had passed, I'm about 21, and uh, my coach in England, who's like runs the gym or whatever, uh, he says, you know, you're not the finished product at all, but you know enough that like you can coach guys up on the basics. So how about like between us, we set up a gym in Ireland, like I'll put my name on it. You can coach like the beginners. Once they get up to a certain level, you bring them over to UK and then we keep it going that way. So that was kind of like the idea. And uh, so I'm like 21, all of a sudden I've got this wrestling school in Ireland. I really don't know what I'm doing at all. Like I still don't, <laughs> I, I feel. But like uh, I'm 21, me and my buddy have got this school. Uh, and I feel like that helped me grow more because even though like I was being taught stuff in England, having the gym there in Ireland and being able to like use it like four or five days a week I felt like the amount of time I was spending in the ring like multiplied infinitely and uh, and and it's kind of weird because a coach can be very restricting and you're kind of like nervous to be around him and nervous to try new things and when all of a sudden I own this ring this is mine I can do whatever I want you start like trying new things and there's no one kind of critiquing you so you're not afraid to like fuck up or make a mistake or like oh he won't like this so I won't do this so really helped me kind of grow like and kind of develop my own style and not really care what anyone else's opinion was and kind of just you know paint my own shit whatever way i wanted it so that was like a huge growing process for me even though i was supposed to be the coach i actually like really like developed so much not only from like coaching and like being in there a lot but having this kind of like free canvas to kind of like do whatever you want you know yeah, well, it's what, what do they say? When you teach, 
like you learn twice, uh-huh. right? And there's like, because when you when you teach somebody, I've learned this through. Because when I got done playing football and before I started wrestling, there was like a little bit of a time period in between. And I thought I was going to get into coaching yep. football. And I would do like camps with guys and I would like teach these techniques. And sometimes it would be shit that I, I thought I hadn't just, I had ingrained in me, right? Because I've been doing it at that point for like 10, 12 years or whatever. Yep. But then when I'm having to verbalize it to people, it's like, oh, wait, do I know this? Like, do I really know this as well yeah. as I thought I knew it? And then it forces me to be able to articulate it. Like, I've got to be able to configure the thoughts in my my brain appropriately for a beginner, someone who doesn't have any knowledge to understand what I'm saying. And it forces me to relearn what I already know in a different way. Yeah, so, absolutely. So it's just like, I imagine that's probably what that process was. Yeah. So I'm 21. We've got this school. This kind of goes on till I'm about like 24. And at this point, I'm feeling like like big fish in a small pond kind of deal. Like I, I know that like this is as good as I'm going to get if I stay in this environment. And, you know, I need to change something. And best thing to do would be like, I didn't know where to start, but I knew that like in Europe, there wasn't really anything at the time. So best thing to do was my aunt who's in Boston. Oh, I'll go stay with her for a little while. So flew to Boston started wrestling around some local indie shows, just going to every like wrestling school that I could find, start training with all those guys. Somehow I ended up on this show in Nashville. I do this show in Nashville, I come back through the curtain and there's a guy there and he says, hey, uh, we really liked your match. We want you to come and train with us at the Enoki Dojo in California. And this is like a super elite, like world renowned, like New Japan Dojo in California. and this guy's here in like his official jumpsuit and all, and he's inviting me there. So I'm like, wow, I can't believe this is happening, man. All I had to do was like get out of that environment that I'd kind of like, you know, not imprisoned myself in, but like kind of, you don't realize how restricted you are, you know? Mm-hmm. And then once I'd just taken myself out within like three months, I'm like getting this opportunity to go train with these guys that like I, you know, are like super elite, super established, like promotion in California. So, of course, no problem, I'll go to California. We lived in a warehouse, basically. It, was, uh, it had a matted area, a ring. Uh, me and Carl Anderson, he was also there at the time. Uh, we slept in sleeping bags, we ate spaghetti out of the tin and like cartoned egg whites like mixed in together. We would get sick like once a week, like vomiting <laughs> and diarrhea, like just, uh, but like, it was such a cool experience, man. We're there trying, like we wake up, we train, we eat, we train again, we go to sleep, and that's the day. And we were doing that like five days a week. That was amazing. Uh, eventually, long story short, there's like a visit from the office in Tokyo just to check up on the building. By sheer happenstance, I was in the ring training at the time, and the president of the company goes, "Ah, oh, I like that guy. I want to give him a tryout in Tokyo. So they come to me and they say, hey, do you want to uh, do like a like a a three-month tryout kind of trial uh, in the dojo in Tokyo. And I said, yeah, of course, dude. What else am I going to do? Because like, bear in mind, I'm in U.S. on like a tourist visa. So right. like I'm here not illegally, but like I have like a set block of time. So I went to Boston and a little bit of L.A. and then I had to go home. And I stayed home for like a month and then I had to come in on another tourist visa. And I got questioned at immigration and stuff like that. But it was all like, I wasn't working, but it's 
just it's pretty sketchy. What are you doing coming in and out? So I was literally just training. So eventually uh, I was going to have to leave anyway and go home to Ireland. So, but then they say, hey, do you want to go to Japan? Yeah, no shit, I'll be on the next flight. So they took me to Japan, started there. What was supposed to be like a, a three-month internship of like cleaning the ring, like watching the guys wrestle, cooking the food, cleaning the toilets, like kind of like carrying their bags, washing the wrestlers' gears. That kind of turned into an eight-year career in Japan, you know? So, like, you kind of start at the bottom. I was supposed to stay there three months. On the last day, I was going to fly home. They say, hey, uh, we want you to come back. You know that, right? And I was like, no, nobody's told me because there was such, like, a huge, like, language barrier, culture barrier. Like, I was kind of property of the gym in L.A., even though I was completely independent and free. Uh, So... It was kind of like a weird situation, but eventually the last day I was kind of like saying goodbyes and they were like, oh, no, we want you to come back. Like as soon as you go to Ireland, we'll get you a visa. You fly straight back here and that three months turned into eight years. Hell yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, so that I, just for anybody that is listening to this, that is like the, uh, the fact that you had the way you paid, like to get to where you were at, right? Eating. Spaghettios, right? <laughs> sleeping yeah. in a sleeping in a sleeping bag, living in a warehouse, doing whatever it took to like get to where you're at. Because uh, you know, there's a lot of maybe a lot of people that are listening to this or will listen to this that have dreams, right? And they a lot of times I, I hear people always saying like, I don't have the resources to obtain such things, whatever it is, or I don't know how to do it. But you said I didn't know how to do it. I just started doing shit, and yeah. I'm a firm believer that the universe respect like rewards hustle uh-huh. and like, sure enough, I mean, think about two of those major opportunities happen just at a sheer happenstance of you just working. Yeah. And someone seeing you put in work and be like, but like, let me give this guy an opportunity. But it's so weird because it's not work. You know, like you're, you're chasing your dreams. So you don't even feel like you're working. You don't even like, feel like you're sleeping in a warehouse in a sleeping bag eating spaghettios you think i'm chasing my dream i'm i'm getting to wrestle every day the hustle it, it was incredible you know and i remember like in the in the warehouse in santa monica like living this like super like tough lifestyle i was so happy dude like all i would do is wake up like shower train eat train again go to sleep that was it in a sleeping bag with my buddy chat you know and right. we're, we're just hanging out all day i remember they they told me hey we want to bring you to tokyo i'm like yeah hell yeah but you know you're not going to be staying at a hotel you have to stay at the dojo i'm like dude i'll stay anywhere so i get to the dojo the dojo is actually just a house so it's an upgrade <laughs> exactly i had a bed so then like they bring me into this room they said uh, there's like four bunk beds in this room like you're gonna have to stay in this room i said there's fucking four bunk beds dude. i got a bed like i'm like working my way up the ladder you know so i'm like 24 going i got a bed from wrestling dude like that's it you know so uh that's people talk about like it's such a hard struggle but it's not when you're in love with the, the process of trying to get somewhere and i feel like people that aren't in love with it or don't really want it that's when it becomes hard but i don't feel like anything i've done in my journey was difficult at all ever right and uh but like going back to like training so like i get trained at like 18 and then 
I kind of start coaching people at like 21. But then I get taken to California, so they retrain me again in their style at like, tw like 23, 24. Then I get taken to Tokyo, and they're like, no, forget about all that. We're going to retrain you again. So at 24 to 25, 26, they're training me in their style. Then I come to US and NXT, and like I've been wrestling now at this point like 14 years and like done it everywhere. Right. And I come to NXT and they go, hey, we want you to start in the beginner, beginner's class. I'm like, hell yeah. Like, I get to like retrain again. So like I got to, I feel like I'm like the most over trained performer right. like in the world with regards like the amount of like training classes I've actually done. And I feel like that's like helped me so much in my career, like with like details. Like you talk about like a lot of times when people like, start wrestling training first thing you learn a lock up you learn a headlock you learn to shoot off the ropes and a tackle but like once you kind of do that and you master that you never really go back to practicing it or drilling it again right. i feel like i've drilled it like for seasons of my life like in huge periods of time in like different styles so i feel like that's really helped me kind of like just run through everything like super smoothly in the ring where i don't even need to think about it because I'm so heavily like drilled in all these different I don't know genres of wrestling I don't know what you want to call yeah. them but like styles or, or techniques so with regards like a lot of people are saying man you're, you're doing this a long time what the fuck are you doing to the performance center like, well, how dare they disrespect you and send you to the performance center where I'm like going, oh hell yeah dude I get to go back and train and learn from like a different coach like Robbie Brookside Terry Taylor all these other guys and like learn what they've learned like throughout their years and eventually I'll get a chance to like slip it into my matches you know so I feel like people need to like really embrace like education and I didn't embrace education in school like from like a you know a book standpoint simply because I wasn't interested right well like I'm highly interested in wrestling so like any education I could get, like I, I wanted it, you know. And anytime I had a chance to like talk to a different like uh, like performer that had you know wrestled in different places or came before me and paved the way, like I always wanted to like get their opinion. And even like I'm super interested in getting people's opinion that have no idea what wrestling is, and like try to explain it to them. Mm -hmm. Or like you know guys that come in from football like yourself and other guys. I've always kind of been drawn by the people who have like trained really, really hard at anything. Like there was, um, like there's a lot of guys at the performance center come in from like jujitsu, like yourself from football, like, you know, Rollis from football, like all these guys, I don't know what it is, but there seems to be some sort of like unspoken like connection. Yeah. That like, even though it's a completely different like discipline or sport, there's, it's still the same core thing connects us all and that's that drive to like want to get better like get better yeah yeah no it's so it's like you know right it's like you said that unspoken language that like you just especially being in the performance center a place where so many different types of characters come in oh yeah i mean let's just i remember when you came in and you had all this heat for like no reason i don't know why 
Well, like, I keep hearing this Don Mesa, Don Mesa, Don Mesa, this, Don Mesa, that. Oh, yeah, he's got an ego. He's got an ego. And I didn't even, hadn't even seen you. You know, I kind of like walk into PC with the blinders on and do my business and get out of there. And I remember finally seeing you and I go, ah, they got this all wrong. Like, I didn't even need to like speak to you. And I remember like walking up to you in, uh, on the turf of the, in, the, in the PC gym. And like, we had a little chat. And like, straight away, I knew like, ah, it's not him. It's everyone else. Like, that has the problem. And I feel like the issue is they don't want to work as hard as he wants to work. Yeah. But I appreciate you recognizing that. Um, I was just telling somebody the other other day, because I was saying how we were, I, somebody wanted to do something with me today. And I was like, nah, I got this. You know, uh-huh. I got something lined up with, and I, was, I dropped your name. And they're like, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And they said, I always heard, you know, somebody that was doesn't know you. It was like somebody, that, but is a wrestling fan. Uh-huh. Someone that I'm like close friends with. And they're like, you know, I've always heard, you know, I don't know the guy, but I've heard good things about him. And I brought up the first time, like, we met and talked. And I just was like, yo, he was the first dude that was, like, anybody in the company that just treated me like a human being. That wow. just, like, came up to me, approached me like a, like a man, talked to me. We engaged in a normal conversation. There was no, like, weird pettiness. There was no ego in between us. It just was like, hey, you know, I'm Fergal yada 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 we started i think i probably said something some something crazy <laughs> to make you laugh you know what i mean i probably if we, if we were in the weight room i was talking shit or whatever you know good then uh you know it would just was i just was like oh you know i i just had a great amount of respect for you because you were especially at that time dude you were like you were nxt that was like when you at like nxt was on your back you know, like I know NXT went through like different stages with different performers uh-huh. and they kind of had like a, a nice little spurt before you had got there. But like you had spent what you were there for like two years before I think two or three, maybe that time period that you were there, you fucking carried that place single handedly. I'm talking about and like this is what I first came in and I don't really know shit about wrestling yet. You know, I kind of had I had trained for six months before I'd got to the performance center. So I had like the most basic of understanding of what wrestling is. But I really didn't know what wrestling was yet at the point. And but I did know I do know top performers when I see one. And I do know like quality character when I see one. And I'm seeing the biggest, baddest entertainer in our fucking company treating you know somebody who has no status that you know is like i'm not really anybody in the regards of that but just treat me with a great amount of respect and then also treat not just me but other people the way you carried yourself the way you would go to some of the smaller venues that we would go to fucking and you would hear people in the locker room bitching and complaining and listen they do it does suck going to some of those small ass places and i can only imagine how hard it can be for a guy like you that's used to fill, filling up the tokyo dome right 30 60 000 people whatever that number is coming to a place where it fits like you know maybe two three hundred people but you sold that thing out every place we went to you sold out and you would come through that curtain and like there would be times where you would be beat to shit from whatever. Maybe you traveled for the weekend before or the weekend before you had a big takeover or whatever. And I could just see before you'd go through the curtain, your body was just hurting. And I remember one time in particular, you were like, your, your body language was just saying like, oh, man, I'm hurting. 
And then like I saw, I was like, man, I've never seen, I've never seen Finn like this. Music hits, you go through the curtain and your whole body changed, dude. And you just were, you were in and the crowd, you know, you have this, you have the sickest entrance to entrance, <laughs> by the way, but you just go through just completely like that, just changed everything and went out and you put a 20, 20 minute show for everybody and like just did your thing. And I just was like, that dude is a fucking, I've been around a lot of confident alpha high achievers i was like he is one of them and he just went and did his thing and i just have big respect i've always had big respect for you ever since i met you so i appreciate that you saw that in me from the jump yeah i feel like uh there's a lot of like it's hard to explain like you know like dogs pissing on a tree kind of attitude where like this is my house kind of yeah why are these guys coming into my business and for me, I feel like that, like, we're all humans. We're all just trying to get on in life. Wrestling's not really that important. It's just, like, what we do and what we're trying to, like, essentially we do it to get paid to... Of course, it starts out as a dream and what we want in life to, like, fulfill this, like, urge as a kid to, like, you know, aspire to be something. But it gets to a point where it's now... I have an apartment, a car, an uh, electricity bill, and they all have to be paid. And, like, when we walk into the performance center and there's, like, 100 guys there, I don't feel like it's 100 guys all against each other. I don't feel like it's 99 guys are my enemy. I feel like, all right, these guys are all on my team, and if even one of those guys does well enough, the whole team is going to get a little rise out of that. Mm -hmm. Because, like, if one guy can help the business enough it's going to make the business better. And, like, there's an old saying, like, when the tide comes in, all the boats rise. Right. And, like, I really feel like that we need more people in wrestling, like, that come from different walks of life that weren't just mega fans. Right. Because being a mega fan is great, and I, I was one, and I'm one, but there needs to be, like, layers to the industry. And... I don't think Ultimate Warrior was a mega fan. You know? But like, look how much of a, a superstar he was. And it really like saddens me to think that so many people entered the performance center and because of this kind of like uh, territorialism, like were forced out of the business before they even got a chance to change it. And imagine like how many like Hogan's we had, Warriors, Savages, or like rocks that were yeah. at the performance center that just for some reason didn't click with someone had heat with someone and you know and it kind of like just it went it went its way and it ran its course and they're no longer in the business and that's like one of the the hardest things for me to accept is like that people don't in the business not in the performance center but in the business as a whole don't get a proper chance sometimes so uh for me, I would always like like to introduce myself to everyone when they come in and just know that like this isn't like a competition between like me and you. Like we're here to do the same thing and like make this place better. And uh, we're a team. Exactly, we're a team. And dude, I would love to be in the ring with you. Love it. It would be absolute cake. And like I see a guy like you like across the ring, and I'm just going, oh, it's like it's like butter in my mouth, dude. It's like. I just love that stuff. 
Braun Strowman. I love it. The story yeah. just is already written. It, it's already written. And, like, wrestling's the circus, dude. I'm like, we need guys like me, and we need guys like you, and we need, like, a juggler. We need a tightrope walker. We need everything. And, like, not to harp on it, but people like me that are, like, fans of wrestling and purists and want to, like, do everything perfectly, that's just one part of wrestling. Yeah. And, like, we need to like fill all the spectrums like and load load all the bases of all the spectrums so like we can have like a really good show so uh like getting to see people come into the business like from different walks of life is like for me is like so cool like people like baba tunde adrian coming in from uh, his mixed martial arts background and stuff so i don't know I, i'm an open door policy man i'm like bring everyone in give them a give them a fair shot like be nice, be humble. We're all doing this for the same thing, for like with the same goal, and just have some fun. Man. Yeah. Well, it's like you scour the earth for like, you scour the earth for all these unique characters, yeah. right? And like, legitimately scour the earth. It yeah. doesn't matter where you are. If you have some sort of unique talent or ability, like they're gonna find you. Yeah. And bring you in. And to me, that like that was one of the coolest parts of the job is being able to meet people from so yeah. many different walks of life. For, for, for me now, walking into the performance center, it's like going to like Universal. Yeah. Because it's like it's like a ride. Like, oh, who am I going to meet today? Like what like incredible human am I going to meet today? Like what story have they had? Because everyone's had like this incredible story and journey to get to like that room yeah. like in that moment and that like crossing of the paths where like i'm just walking in to do some training and this person's came from india like probably jump borders illegally like being on boats all sorts mm -hmm. of, like everyone's got such a unique story and like we can learn from that not even about wrestling but about life mm -hmm. you know i got i got dude i love people's stories i got in an uber the other day and i was going to some restaurant and just making small talk with the uber driver and I said, where are you from? He said, I'm from Mexico. I said, ah, oh, cool. My wife's from Mexico. I said, ah, oh, nice, nice, nice. I said, how long are you here? He goes, ah, oh, 28 years now. I said, ah, oh, cool. I said, how did you get here? He says, oh, well, for, for three days and for three nights, I walked across the desert. I'm like, whoa, what a story, dude. And he's just, like, living his life. But, like, to have that experience, like, he, like, walked across the desert for three days and three <laughs> nights to, to set up his life in the United States. Like, how cool is that? And how, like, proud could you be? Like, we talk about all these, like, accomplishments in wrestling and like, how this title and that title, that's nothing compared to, like, an, like, an achievement like that. Yeah. You know, like, that's, that's a, something that you could really, like, look back and go, fuck, I've done that, man. That's cool. You, like, traveled borders, cross borders to a yeah. foreign land to, like, try and, like, start from literally the bottom. Yeah. And find your way to like build something up for your family to yeah. like give your family the like best chance possible yeah. to succeed. Incredible. Yeah. I always, I, I have a great deal of affection for like immigrants or like foreigners that come to this country because my, my grandparents are Italian immigrants. Uh -huh. So when I was younger, they would always like tell me the story of how they would, they came over to, you know, to the new country. Uh-huh. And, like, my great-grandfather and my great-uncle came over right after the war, right after World War II. They came over first. They worked over in the States for three years. Now, like, 
they didn't fly a plane, bro. They <laughs> they got on some rickety ass boat and lived like they were at the bottom of the boat next to the boiler room, and they like were on this boat in this hot ass room for four weeks across the sea, and then came and worked in the steel mills for yeah. three years to save up enough money to send my great grandmother and then my grandfather over. And then they went through that same process to come over and to set up, which then, you know, they set up, they found jobs and worked. And my grandpa, my great uncle, like got an education here, which then eventually led to my grandfather and my mom, which then inevitably led to me being able to be here right here, right now. And it's just like, I have an un, sometimes I get emotion when I like really sit and think about it. I get like really emotional and like, I'm so grateful for my Nona and my Nona because like they made some, a very, you know, they moved from the small village in the mountains of like Rockapia, which is like 50 miles west, east of Rome. And like this little small village people, right. Just like made a decision to like get on a boat and cross the world to an unknown land just so that they're, and like so that their offspring could have a better life which was me like i'm a direct like i'm a direct correlation to what they did so like it's just like man i wouldn't even be here and have the opportunities that i have if it wasn't for that so it's just like i love hearing that shit but dude even going back to like what we were talking about earlier with like the stress of like air travel yeah like they got on that boat not knowing if that boat was even gonna make it to the u.s like for four weeks, it's it's so incredible, man. The amount of stuff we take for granted in this age, and I know it's a very difficult time for a lot of people, but like I'm so grateful for everything that I have, and I feel like that, like gratitude, definitely, like pays, in some way back towards you from the universe, you know. Um, but yeah, what like, a story. I I feel like when you really look at it. Every one of your ancestors successfully held on to life and like passed it on to you. And it's such a beautiful thing, and it's, but it's so simple that like the most important thing that we have is life. It's the only really important thing. And it's, and it's gonna go eventually, you know, we're all gonna right. die. But like every one of our ancestors successfully passed it along yeah they passed it along it's such a beautiful way of looking at it i feel i think i think that that is like our sole purpose here on this planet is to take the life that was given to us to grow like you said education find something that you love and like dig deep into it grow garner as many experiences as you can travel meet as many different people as you can and then there's going to come a point in your life where hopefully in that process you can pass things along, but you're going to come to a point where you've attained a certain amount of knowledge and, and feel secure enough within yourself where then it's like you've got to start splitting or adding a major part of your life where now it's like you're paying it forward mm-hmm. to the people around you, to your kids if you have kids, because now it's your duty to like what everyone did to get you to where you were at because there's no self-made man. You know, absolutely. Because like I I think about it all the time. A lot of people will say like, oh, man, you're like so motivated, so driven, like you've achieved a lot of things and like you've done it all on your own. And like from the outside, it may look like that. But I look back on all the different things that I've gone through. And if it wasn't for 
different teachers, coaches, random strangers that the universe just brought into my life that even if it was just for a 20 minute conversation, said something that like profoundly changed the course of the rest of my life, you know? And it's just like, I've had so many different people just get brought into my life that like, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be here today. And some have stuck around for a long time and some were only in my life for a glimpse of a moment, but they all changed who I am. And like, I just feel like that's my, that's my mission now is to like try and give back to as many people as I can in the process. I love it, man. Wow, you're getting me emotional, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, hearing your story, bro, I mean, like, your story's got me all juiced up over here, man. Dude, I got a good story, right? So, like, being, like, in WWE and in the limelight, you get, like, a lot of requests to do, like, hey, you know, my cousin's your biggest fan. Can you do, like, a little birthday message for him? And, like, you know, you'll do these messages, like, every day, two, three, four a day sometimes. And, like, it was kind of not getting to the point where it's tedious, but, like, you're not really even, you're just going, oh, hey, Jimmy, heard it's your 10th birthday. Happy birthday, buddy. Too sweet. Hope you have a good one. Have some cake for me. And, like, boom. And you think nothing of it. Yeah, and you think nothing of it. So it was my 39th birthday last weekend. and Congratulations, bro. Thank you. Thank you. And I haven't been home since Christmas of last year. So coming up on, like, eight months or something. But very stressful in the sense that I don't know when I can go home because of the current situation. So it feels like a lot longer than eight months. So it was my birthday. And my wife had arranged for all my family and friends back home in Ireland to do videos for me without my knowledge. And she put it on the TV, like without my knowledge. I thought we were going to watch a movie. And she put it on. And dude, I got so emotional. I was like, I was crying. I had to stop it. Like, I'm even starting to get emotional now. It was like, A, like, the gesture she made of, like, arranging all this to, like, f- for me, to, like, show her love. And she knew that I missed him so much. B, like, my family actually doing it and taking the time to do the video. And, like, see the realization of, like, this is what... I'm doing for people like on a day-to-day basis and like kind of taking it not for granted but like not treating it with the respect that I should and like it was so emotional dude I think I cried for about like six hours that afternoon and I was so tired the next day it was just like a complete emotional flush of just everything just released out of my body like I'm not just talking tears like like energy left like I don't know what happened but it was such like a yeah, like it, a spiritual it, purge. Yeah, it, it was it was so beautiful. Like it was painful. Like I couldn't stop crying. <laughs> we couldn't watch a movie later. We couldn't do nothing. Like the day was over. It's like four p.m. in the afternoon. The day was <laughs> over. We done nothing else. We talked about the video. We watched it again. I tried to explain how I was feeling. I couldn't quite understand it at that moment. Like I was like being thankful to her, thankful to my family. And just trying to like digest everything, but man, it was so beautiful, dude. But like to, I can't even put it into words, but to have like people do that for you is when you're so used to like doing it for other people was so beautiful, dude. I can't, can't put it into words. There's something about a gift that doesn't 
that didn't require any money. No. You know what I mean? Yeah. It didn't. All it took was like time and yeah. effort. Yeah. Right. And yeah. it was like, I mean, think about it. We'd people take so many selfies nowadays or pictures. Like it's like you said, it's almost like meaningless, but like to do it, to have someone organize someone that loves you and then yeah. to gather people that love you to send you little, like I, man, I mean, I'm, I'm, that's like a warm heart. That's a heartwarming <laughs> little story you got there, yeah. bro. Yeah. I think I'll watch that video again later on tonight. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, was, uh, how was turning third? Like, how was that experience for you turning 39? Oh, no problem. Yeah. No problem. I feel better at 39 than I did when I was like 29. I was so beat up when I was 29. I was wrestling this insane style, like long matches, lots of head drops, training too hard on top yeah. of that. The travel was really intense in Japan where we're traveling on a bus all the time and probably not understanding my own body well enough. And like, I was a little heavier too at the time. Like I was kind of working around 205 and I feel like now I float right around 179 to 182, like in between those, depending on what time of day. That's your sweet spot. That's, that's the sweet spot, dude. And uh, man, I feel better than ever. I remember when I turned 30 and like, that's kind of like a big one for people. Yeah. And I remember like this kind of like anxiety building up in me like for a couple of weeks, like leading up to like my, my, my 30th birthday. And I woke up in Tokyo on my 30th birthday and I woke up and I remember just feeling this complete calmness. And it was almost like, thank fuck my 20s are over. Like this is now like peace, no pressure. You're an adult. And like I really feel like people like underestimate the, the pressure of like your 20s. And like even my 30s now, I'm thinking like, ah, oh, bring on 40, man. I'm, I'm done with the 30s, but uh, I can't complain about anything, dude. I'm 39, I feel great. I work out less than ever. Schedules reduced drastically uh, thanks to COVID, sadly, but uh, I'm sure we'll get back running 100, 100 miles an hour pretty soon, but yeah. man, life, life is good. Dude, you got you got a great schedule now. Even before COVID, you had a yeah. So I went well earned though, well earned schedule. Yeah. So I hadn't take. I'd been working from two thousand until last August, which was nineteen years without taking a break, unless it was some sort of injury, like I with yeah. a month off or something, or the shoulder injury, which I had. But the shoulder injury, I actually worked harder when I was out than when I was fit because I was doing rehab three times a day to try and get it back, to get it going and the stress of the injury yeah. and the pressure of trying to come back. Uh, so that actually felt harder than like when you're actually working. Cause when, once you're working, you're just kind of in the zone and you're mm -hmm. going and you're going and you're going. So I've been going for like 19 years straight up until SummerSlam last August. And uh, it, I just came to a point where I just needed a break. And I, not so much physically, it was more mentally to be by myself and kind of be away from the boys. I love the boys, but it gets to a point where like, it's just too intense. And when you're around them all the time, you just need some space. And I just needed space from everything. The yeah. business, like bookers, writers, like just schedules, every, I just needed a space from everything. It just become too intense. And I was turning into a different person that like I didn't like, like I was snapping at people. I wasn't giving people time. Like in conversations, I was like, I was just, I was turned into like a just like a bitter dick essentially, and I could feel it like building and building, and and uh, 
thankfully the company gave me some time to kind of get my head straight and uh, get better. And when I came back, the idea was pitched around to, to go to NXT. And I was like, hell yeah, let's do it. So I went from working like 172 matches a year to working maybe like 50 matches a year, which is like, it's a huge drop. It's huge. And like, and when, when you think about like the 172 matches, that's different cities every night too. Right. So by proxy add in, if you're on the road every week, that's 52 days extra just to travel home. So that's, now you're talking about 223 days a year on the road, minimum. Not including if you're like stuck in, mm -hmm. I don't know, right. Singapore or something someday on a layover. So that's all stuff that people don't realize. It's yeah. not just like, it's not like, oh, I travel to here, I perform here, and I travel home. No, there's so many variables that can happen, like yeah. delayed flight, stuck in the air, weather delays, whatever. Exactly, man. And uh, there was one year that I was home 52 days that year, like in my apartment. 52 days in a whole year I was home. Like I, because I was paying like this extortionate amount of rent, I was going like, worked out on the calendar all the days I was on the road. I was like, I paid this for like 52 days just to leave my bags here. Like, <laughs> didn't even feel like home. Was that when you were living in Brooklyn? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was a good time, but um, it's, uh, I like Florida, man. Florida's, especially for what we do. I feel like if, if I was gonna move to another city, I would like to be there and like immerse myself in it and work there and like experience it fully. But like you need the convenience of Florida. You need to be able to just get in your car and drive to the store and pick up your groceries and go home and not kind of be bothered. In like any other city, it's like in Brooklyn, you gotta like walk in the snow to the grocery store, only buy as many groceries as you can carry back in the snow to your right. apartment. So like there's, super small like things that I kind of didn't anticipate that became like a chore and uh, and also just you don't you you kind of take your wrestling buddies for granted sometimes too you know and like having like spent a couple of years here in Florida and like I thought like ah peace out I want to enjoy New York and see what it's all about and like it was a great experience but I feel like I got so many great friends here like Matt Bloom someone who's helped me like incredibly my whole career like since i met him in japan like transitioning to nxt like he put me up in his family home like for three months while i could find an apartment when i first moved here so like so many people that like you know i essentially just missed because i was on the road by myself going home by myself like no city, kinda, you don't yeah, know anybody yeah you know so uh and it's hard to like meet people when you're coming home from being on the road because really all you want to do is sleep and be left alone. Sleep and do laundry, dude. And uh, that was pretty much all I would do. Sleep, laundry, uh, laundry, walk to a gym around the corner. That was it. So it wasn't really like the, the, the New York experience. But I'd love to spend some time in California. I'd love, like, my wife's going to kill me for saying this, but like some place like super rural, like South Dakota or something like uh -huh. that. I would love that. But um, I feel like the convenience of Florida is just perfect for a wrestler with regards like like movement, travel, flights are normally pretty okay. Yeah. And like weather's always good. That's the big thing is for like people out there, you're going to travel to different places, right? Yeah. You're going to say, say you're, you're a sports entertainer, you're in the business, right? And you're going to travel to all these different places. 
you you're gonna you're gonna travel to places that are cold. You're gonna travel places that are hot, that are wet. Yeah. But you want to always come back home to a place that's always gonna be warm. Yeah. Because there's nothing worse than being on the road for X amount of time, being all beat up and sore, and coming home and it being freezing cold. Yeah. Your body is not going to appreciate that. Not at all, dude. And like, we'd be doing loops, like up in Canada, like Winnipeg, all these kind of areas like up around the border and stuff and it'd be like minus 30 snow blown sideways like can't drive and then like you're up there for four days and you fly back and it's like palm trees and like sunshine and you're just like oh thank hell God. yeah and like sometimes you even like forget that it's cold in these places and i wasn't like packing accordingly right. so like i'm showing up like in shorts and just like like a long sleeve t-shirt i'm like oh shit it's like minus 20. <laughs> yeah. i started running that i started running out of like i didn't have winter jackets anymore yeah. or winter clothes and I'm from I'm from Erie, Pennsylvania, yeah. which is like I know it, yeah. okay. It, yeah. it, we get hammered with snow, yeah. So like it's almost like blasphemous for like people where I'm from to hear be like not have a winter coat or have things for winter time. And so it'd be like traveling. I'm like, man, I'm not prepared for this. I've got yeah. I'm going to throw this hoodie on. I'm going to throw the zip up. I'm, I'd have to layer up to to prepare for going to like colder places. On the contrast growing up in Ireland, like super cold, wet climate, like super gloomy all the time, overcast. And when I moved to Orlando to start at the Performance Center, it was August 1. Oh, damn. And like, I couldn't understand for my life why civilization had set a home <laughs> in, like, in this location. Like, why would you want to live in this humidity? Disney, bro. And, Disney's why. <laughs> That's the only reason why this place exists. No, I, is Disney. I know. But um, but I'm slowly, slowly starting to acclimatize to it. But like the same point, I was coming from this cold climate, so all my clothes were tailored towards being in the cold. So like I'm like like wearing like warm woolly jumpers, but I'm like, why am I sweating so much? It's like, it's like 90. It's 96, like, bro. You know? So like I'd slowly like transition to like a Florida closet, but then like I'll make a trip home to Ireland and I'll like completely forget like how cold it truly is. Cause even when you look at like your weather app and you read like whatever 15 Celsius it is, like it's not a true feeling of like that damp cold. And like, I can explain it, dude. It, it, it comes up your bones. It comes up your shins, like into your knees. And you'll know it because it's the same where you're from. And it's so, it's so cold, man. So now I've got like a winter closet that basically applies maybe one week in Florida or if I take a trip home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, uh, for, for an eerie, it's, it's very similar in terms of gloom and overcast. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's snow. We get hammered with snow all yeah. the time. And then there the spring months, it'll be, you know, it'll rain. But we get about three months out of the year in Erie where it is beautiful, dude. Uh -huh. I'm talking about, because we're right on the lake. So you got the yep. Great Lake. You have all these creeks that run the runoffs from Lake Erie into the woods. So, like, if you're into the outdoors. And the sounds off those creeks has got to be beautiful. Dude. Man. Yeah. Oh, the, the running water. Oh. And then also just, you don't have to worry. So that's another thing. Growing up, I'd like play in the woods. Mm -hmm. But here. Same, same in Ireland, yeah. Here, 
there's no way I would play in the woods here. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, Dude, right there's point. so much shit that's going to kill you or like <laughs> infect you. I mean, you've got reptiles here that could kill you. You have birds here that could kill you. Then just being in the water, you get some amoeba or some like parasite or some shit. So it's like the outside here is different than the outside. I am, I am scared of my life of snakes, dude. All right, yeah, I'm not a big fan of snakes either. Deathly afraid. Like I opened my door one day to like an Uber Eats delivery and there was like two little black racers like swarming around the food i like shit my pants dude i jumped and like you can see it on the security camera like i went back and watched it i'm like shit ah. <laughs> and the guy dropping off the uber east was like ah it's just two little black racers dude he completely uh -huh. stooged me off, you know? <laughs> i'm not from here bro yeah. <laughs> um so like what's next for you i don't know man i'm uh i feel like I'm just, I don't know what's next. I feel like I'm finding my groove in NXT. I don't really know what's good or bad anymore. I feel like I'm either too deep in or not deep enough in that I don't know if my wrestling's good or bad or just average. So I, I love getting in. I would say it's pretty good. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know. I'm my own worst critic for sure. Oh, yeah, I, I get that. But, uh I feel like the real challenge in NXT is that like every time I'm getting in the ring with someone, it's for the first time and it's on TV. Like it's like I've no like like ring relationship with any of these guys and there's no house shows, so there's nowhere to practice. Yeah. So like the first time I'm locking up with someone, it's like on live TV and it could be like a takeover, it could be like a three seg uh, on Wednesday night. So uh, it's like, it feels like super raw in the sense that like I'm really having to like focus and concentrate. Whereas like if I was locking up with like Corbin or Lashley or someone who I've worked a hundred times, like it's like I could do it with my eyes closed because I know their movements. I've learned their movements. I know what they're going to do. I can read their body language. So like it's like I'm on like super alert, like working with all these new guys. So like it's a real challenge. And like I know a lot of people like to, you know, like get kind of a repertoire with someone, but I kind of like just going in there and kind of like figuring it out. And uh, I don't know, I really enjoy kind of like the virgin lockup of like, how's it, <laughs> how's it gonna feel? Like, you know, like, oh, he smacked me in the ear. Or, oh, I undershot it or something like, you know? And like feeling like how they sell, like you don't know how they're gonna move, what their reverse is to a headlock, how they're gonna shoot me off where their footing's gonna be when I come back. Are they gonna like be tight on me? Are they gonna give me space? So it's like super learning experience. And like, I'm trying not to like critique myself too much because all these matches are the first match, like the match with Johnny, the match with Riddle, the match with like Timothy Thatcher and, and Dexter last week. That was all like the first time I'd ever like touched these guys in the right. ring. So uh, it's, Super cool learning experience. It's kind of like trial by fire and squad, really. Like, just like try and figure it out on live TV. You got one chance. <laughs> <laughs> don't mess it yeah, up. <laughs> yeah, so, so I'm enjoying it. I don't know what's next. Um, I always, I, I used to think, ah, oh, maybe like around 40, I'll, I'll finish wrestling, but I feel like fitter than ever in the sense of like being in the ring. Uh, so I don't feel like my body's going to give out anytime soon. Uh, I don't have any 
uh, plans on quitting or retiring. I'd love to do it as long as possible. As I feel like it's certainly achievable with this schedule. Uh, and I don't know, see what happens. But I've no interest in anything else except wrestling. I have a side project of a, a t-shirt company that I run, uh, Peak, which I'm wearing right now which stands for peace, equality, and kindness. And it's really just like, I feel like there's so much like negativity in like the world that I just wanted to try and put a little bit of positivity. And if I can wear a t-shirt with like with a positive message, uh, that can maybe a small fraction, like illuminate the world a little bit. Uh, a lot of the shirts we do, we donate the profits to different charities. So we've worked with uh, a lot of homeless charities, a lot of LGBTQ, uh, charities right now this Black Lives Matter t-shirt goes to uh, NAACP uh, civil rights uh, movement so I don't know man I've kind of spread out trying to get a visa that's kind of the most important thing on my brain right now I'm kind of locked into this all the embassies are shut down so my kind of visa not expired but I'm not allowed to travel so I'm, I'm allowed to be here in the United States and work but if I leave I'm not allowed to come back so if I would go over the border to Canada or to Mexico or home to Ireland, I'm not allowed to come back. So I'm kind of like stuck here and that's kind of been the main, my main focus like the last two months is like trying to like maneuver COVID, the embassies, the visa, the quarantines. If I do travel, I have to get back two weeks before I can wrestle. So there's all, that's kind of been like my obsession right now of like looking at calendars and dates and trying to like figure out well, which way is this possible. My brother's getting married and September so I'm hoping that stars will align and the universe will be kind to me and that will all work out with the embassies will open and the visa will and the wedding will happen and we'll be good oh yeah what about you what have you got planned um because I know you're always cooking something man. I'm trying bro I'm trying I'm a I'm a day-to-day -day. I like wake up and I'm like ah oh. and I've even been working with a personal trainer recently it's super hard because I love the training I hate being tied to a schedule. I hate it. Like I've been controlled by schedules my whole life with like wrestling. And the one schedule that was mine was my training. And if I wake up and I'm tired, I don't want to go. Uh, I'll go at 5 p.m. or I'll go at 8 p.m. or whatever. And if I wake up at 7 a.m. and I feel good, I'll go then. I don't like being tied to this 11 a.m. everyday deal. So apart from that, that's that's all I got going. The uh I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you're probably aware of it, but like that positive message, just the fact that you change, you know, your, your logo, the Finn Balor, just changing that to like the rainbow color, right? Yeah. I like, I just, I know how big of an impact that makes on people, which is crazy, right? Just something, yeah. something as simple of just embracing, you know, a color scheme, a rainbow pattern, yeah. right? But yeah. like, I have uh, people in my family that are a part of, you know, like the gay community yep. and like my uncle in particular, and he's mm -hmm. a huge fan of you. And like, he just, it, the thing that he brought up wasn't the wrestling about you, but it was like, you didn't have to do that. Right. Like you didn't have to like make that a part of your thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's very subliminal, like very, you know, it's just the, it's just there. It's nothing major, but it's just a little something that's saying, Hey, like I'm, I'm here with that. I'm cool with that. And it just, I just know from him and, you know, a couple other people that I know from that community, like how much that means to them. So like you are doing it, bro. 
Thank you, dude. You know, you are putting that positive. I feel like um, we have such a huge platform, like internationally, with WWE, and like the kind of waste that opportunity to not use it for some good because we're very restricted in what we can do because it's a wrestling company, an entertainment company, and we're like giving people a product which they consume. So like we're very limited as to what we can change, but like a, a color scheme was something that I could definitely change. Yeah. And uh, we were coming up to WrestleMania. It was my first WrestleMania, and I was in a triple threat match with Seth and The Miz against me. And there was talk about doing The Demon, and everyone was saying, oh, you're going to do The Demon. You know, your first WrestleMania, you have to do The Demon. They have to see that big entrance in the big stadium with all the lights and the fireworks. It's going to be awesome. And um, I kind of came up with this idea that like I feel like the, the gay community is not like represented in wrestling at all. It's kind of like, or at that point, it was kind of like not just not spoken about. Yeah. Right. And it would like, I just felt like it needed, like I have a lot of friends in that community. I like, I know there's a lot of wrestlers in that community and I, maybe there was something that happened that people were like reluctant to, kind of be open about it and for me I didn't really have anything to lose in the sense that I'm a straight guy and that like I'm not going to be judged really uh, so I had this idea that you're you know, secure with yeah I'm, I'm your secure, manhood I, yeah I'm secure with who I am and you know if people don't like me supporting like this cause other then human I, beings yeah, <laughs> right. so so I brought I brought this idea to WWE i and they were like super on board with it. As soon as Stephanie heard about it, she was super on board, pulled all the strings to get it all all done over the line. And the, like they got the shirts made at super short notice. So instead of the demon, we went with the LGTBQ. It's a mouthful for me to say. Yeah. But, right. But um, uh, so we went with that. But what we done was we got a community from New Orleans to come out on stage with me too. So it made it so much more special. So I feel like everyone was expecting the demon and then when it wasn't the demon, they should have been let down, but I feel like it was even bigger than the demon and it was a bigger message than anything I could have done and it was so much more uh, like real in the sense of like touching people than like, it wasn't entertainment. It was like, it was like a message of positivity. It wasn't like, this is the demon with cool paint and cool smoke and you can watch this and just enjoy it. It was like something that's positive saying like, you're welcome. Like we, I appreciate you. Like you're welcome in our industry. Like it's, we're all the same. We're all, we're all humans. Yeah. Like there, there should be no discrimination at all. And like a lot of people even said to me, oh, well, you know, some of your fans might not like this because, you know, it's, it is kind of still, you know, a touch and go subject. And I was like, honestly, dude, if, if they don't like it, I don't want them as my fans because they're not the type of humans that I want to be around and I don't need that support or right. negativity around me at all. So uh, it was something that I didn't even realize how big it was going to be and how many people it was going to affect uh, in a positive way. And uh, something that, like, I'm super proud of. Like, people talk about, like, what are you proud of in your career? And like that trumps like titles and 
and any kind of match, uh, like getting that opportunity and having the support of the company to like step out and like like spread a positive message at WrestleMania, you know. Hell yeah, dude. That's uh that's like you took a moment, right? That is in any wrestlers like for any wrestler, their first WrestleMania is like I mean, that's like the holy grail, right? That's like one of the biggest moments of any wrestler's careers to get, you know, get to a point where you're in the WWE, but not just in the WWE, but like you're on WrestleMania's card, the biggest show that we have, one of the biggest sporting events in the world. And like that airtime is priceless. Like legitimately, you cannot put like a, a numerical value on that. And you took that moment to not make it about you, but to make it about a group of people that needed some support, that needed a little bit of love and affection, right? With just something as simple as like changing your colors and letting a group of people come out and you shared a moment where you would have been completely justified in being selfish and enjoying it as your own, right? And just being out there in center spotlight and just taking in all of that adulation from all the people, and you decided, like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna share this moment. I'm gonna share my career's work because that's, I mean, if you think about it like this in the grand scheme, like an accumulation of those twenty years of work, eating spaghettio, sleeping in freaking sleeping bags, right, traveling the world, shitty pay, getting beat up, everything to where you started seeing some success and then growing into what you are now right but you took all of that all of that work everything and then it culminated to that point and you made it about more than just you that dude i, I, I like the way dude. you articulated i i really don't think that that's big time bro yeah that's big time that's like some high character shit that's it's another reason why i love you bro <laughs> <laughs> the love is mutual, brother. The love is mutual. We need more Finn Balors in the world, bro. We do. We need more Finn Balors in the world. Maybe he can take the bumps for me. <laughs> <laughs> give, dude. I'd, I'd give up a percentage, yeah. right? No. Not those. Not take a bump. No, man. There's something. There's something uh, addictive about bumps, dude. It. It is. It is kind of sick. Yeah. It's, it's weird. It's like a self. Uh, like self harming kind of. Feeling of, I don't know. I, I There's a level of mass, yeah. mass like it's like a what is it, Ma uh, masochistic. Yeah, it's like a level of masochism, right? Yeah. Where there's like pain, and but I th some of it is I think it's that 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 manliness, that masculine energy, where it's like you know that it's not uh, people. It's kind of people try to stay away from pain right uh -huh. but you know that it's necessary to achieve a goal or a cause so you like step into the pain mm -hmm. you are like i will embrace this pain not only will i endure it i will do it with a smile you know so then like you as like any competitor or any ambitious person like you've got to like trick yourself into doing shit that sucks and like that's one of those things where it's like you trick yourself almost into like loving it yeah. And then you can't just bump. Like, you can't just flat back to the mat. Like, you have to attack the mat, right? Like, you have to fully commit to throwing your body as oh, hard yeah. as you can. The less you commit, the more it's going to hurt. Uh huh. It's crazy. <laughs> Dude, it's so backwards, right? Know, right. To think about 
hitting like you use less force to hit the mat and you hurt yourself uh-huh. more. You have a higher probability of hurting yourself if you kind of go through the motion of hitting the mat than you would if you gave 100% effort to hit it. I would rather it. come off the top rope with like a backflip, land perfect back bump than like trip here and like land on your car. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, one time I, had, I like slipped on ice and oh. I, I was like trying to catch myself and I didn't, and I fell, and it hurt so bad, bro. Like, I felt like I took the life out of me for a second. I was like, <laughs> I slipped. And, I slipped getting into the shower a couple weeks ago. Oh, damn. Before a takeover. It was one of these showers that you, it was like a bath, you know, that you have to step over. Uh, I stepped over into the bath. My foot went from under me, and I face bumped right on the, like, the rim um, of the bath. Man, I, f- I thought, man, I'm. 38 at this point I'm thinking like, <laughs> it's downhill from here it's crazy how it's something like that though feels like the worst thing in the world but like you could like someone could body slam you suplex you bill yeah. you across the ring and you just like pop that, right that, back is, up it's that like control freaking us right we're in control of the choke slam we're in control of the superplex but like you slip in the shower there's that like split second where you lose all control yeah and you oh shit what's gonna happen and then the, that moment you get tense oh yeah right which makes like that makes things worse when you are about to make contact point of contact and you get tense makes it worse for yourself if you can just like relax it almost in a weird way eliminates the majority of the pain insane i think that's why i survived my uh one of one of the other uh, so, so tell me about this crash have you spoken about it on the yeah okay. i've talked okay. i will talk about it yeah, again bro. Okay. it's i mean it's a it's a wild ass story uh, t- tell me about this accident um so wrestling i think wrestling did come into play for multiple reasons with this car accident but um when so i'm driving down the road right it's like 7 p.m it's a rural road no side streets i'm approaching an intersection the sun's off into the distance it's about it's setting i remember because it's super bright Mm because it's like right in my face i'm like driving right into it i'm approaching this intersection foreign intersection i've never been in this part of town before I start slowing down, anticipating some sort of stop, stop light, stop sign, get a little bit closer, no stop light, thinking there's a stop sign, get a little bit closer, no stop sign. This is weird, but maybe this is an intersection that doesn't have, yep. uh, it just has just stop, stop light. Yeah, right. away, yeah. So I let off the brake, coast through the intersection. Next thing I know, I'm waking up on the concrete. And there's three people hovering over me. Um, I'm trying to figure out where I am, why I'm not in a car. I was just driving. Now I'm on the concrete. I hear an ambulance off in the distance. I hear people kind of yelling and screaming everywhere. There's just like kind of just chaos. But everything at this moment is like super foggy. And so I get up. And as I get up, the lady that was in the middle of the three that were hovering over me tells me her name, what she does, and just was like pleading with me to get back down and not to move. Because, I mean, you know how, like, especially anybody that plays sports, collision sports, there's a neck injury or a potential neck injury. You have to stay immobilized. Even if you can move, there's a chance that something could be fractured and you moving just can be the difference between you having a full recovery and you being paralyzed. So 
I listened to her and laid back down. And that was the last thing that, you know, so then I, I black out and then I come to again on the stretcher getting put into the ambulance. And where I was was about 40 minutes from Orlando trauma. So they're like flying back to Orlando. And at this point, every, all my memory has come back to me. Like, so from this point, everything's like crystal clear to me. And I think a lot of it is because my adrenaline was just sky high at this point. And like that fogginess of being knocked unconscious was like gone because that adrenaline kind of pushed it through. So I'm like asking these dudes every single, like, where am I? What happened? Am I okay? Like trying to just figure out what happened. They tell me you were in a car accident and you were ejected through your front window. They, uh, we think, uh, you know, we're, you have a laceration on your head, you have cuts. It's like we're worried that your neck is fractured. So, yeah, I know. That's like the last thing you want. It was a very scary moment to like hear that. And I immediately start flexing everything. I'm like locked down. My neck is strapped. My head is strapped. I'm harnessed. But I start moving my fingers, moving my toes. I start flexing, popping my pecs. Squeeze. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the thing we were talking about in our very first conversation. But continue, please. Popping my pecs, flexing, and just literally flexing every single muscle in my body to yeah. make sure that I had like the I had control of everything. And I was like flexing everything, and everything was moving, and I felt super confident that I was okay, that I didn't have a broken neck, but I I was still. You know, I just, I'm strapped to a stretcher and uh -huh. I don't know how I got where I'm at. So there's still like that pending loom of like, oh, I'm, I and could have a broken neck. Like my life kind of could be completely different from this point on. What, what was the time frame from say that ambulance ride to getting the confirmation that thankfully your neck was. Probably intact? two hours. Wow. Maybe, maybe. Somewhere between two and three hours because it took me about 30 minutes to get back to Orlando. They get me into Orlando trauma and they had like a team waiting for me in the trauma center. It was just like, it was like a scene from ER. And so it's like, boom, I get out. They start poking, prodding. So you're fully conscious and aware at this time. Yeah. And they're poking, prodding, asking me every question because they couldn't find my wallet. So I was like in the system as John Doe. Yep. So they're asking me my name, this, that can I feel this? Can I feel that? Like, where do I feel pain? They're trying to figure out what is wrong with me as well. Finally, uh, after X amount of time in the, uh, in the ICU, they take me for a CAT scan and they do a CAT scan full length of my spine, my cranium, my pelvis, my elbow. Cause my left elbow was really jacked up. And they, so they do the scan. I come out about 20 minutes later, the doctor comes out and he goes, dude, I don't know who you are or where you're from, but there's nothing wrong with you. You're not from earth. <laughs> Take me with you. <laughs> he was like, you have a, a, you know, nasty laceration on your head. That's going to, you know, you got five staples in there now and you're going to need about 12 more stitches. You got some road burned on the left side of your body, but. Other than that, you know, you're, you're good to go. Wow. And then I went to, they kept me overnight and I was in there overnight and I remember laying in the bed, dude. And 
I was because I didn't have my phone or anything, so that I couldn't even call anybody to come. And this was right when COVID happened, so they were like super strict with even letting people in. So I'm like in this dark ass room, just alone, and like I remember just thinking to myself, I will, I just like I just broke down emotionally, just was like crying, right? Because it was just like, man, I just like lost my car, you know, I lost my car, wrecked my car, I was in the, I just flung across cross the street but like i'm alive and like i i things could be so much worse than they are and like i'm just so grateful and i don't know why like i shouldn't be alive you know i hear a lot of times um i did a show a couple about a week ago it's, it's called superhuman radio mm-hmm. it's a podcast and they do a, a segment called muscles save life and or muscles save lives and we went on there and we, we talked and uh, we talked about training and how I kind of have taken care of my body over the years to kind of build the physique that I have. And we kind of correlated me being able to walk out of the hospital the very next morning on my own because of the training, which it's nice to say and talk about. And I, and I imagine it, it may have a small role into why I was, but I can't take the credit. Because that happens a thousand times, 999 times, I'm not sitting here talking to you. Yeah. And no matter how big and how strong I am, a car moving at 60 miles an hour is just that forces more than the human body could even endure. So something larger than myself was at work that day. What do you think is controlling this whole thing that we're experiencing right now? So... This is something that I've been, you know, maybe trying to wrap my mind around my entire life. But more recently, I think that there is an, I think that there's an interconnectedness between everything in the universe from human beings to animals, to inanimate objects, to stars, to things that we don't even know exist. And I think everything is so connected our energies, our frequencies are all so connected. I think whatever is controlling all of this, I don't know if it's necessarily any one thing. I think it is a collective. I think it's, and I don't know if I'm articulating this right or if I'm even capable of articulating this properly, but I feel from my experiences that when we go through this life as humans, we hopefully we get to the point where we realize we get away from the individual aspect and realize that we are way more connected. And I think that that is kind of where we come into all this fighting and, and tension that we have in the world now is because we're not able to see ourselves as a whole and only see each other as individuals. But I think when you go through this life at some point you will have a kind of a moment, an aha moment, it may happen earlier in your life. It may happen on your deathbed. But you're going to realize that we're all interconnected and that when you die, you come back as another person and you just keep coming back as different people in different experiences until you've lived every single life. And then once you get to that point, you, that's like what the enlightenment right process that these different religions talk about, Buddhism, Christianity, Islam. They all kind of have very similar, uh, they're all very different, but they have, 
if you look and read, you see that there's a lot of very similar kind of teachings and thought processes. And I think to get to that, and I don't know if you ever get to that, right? The vastness of this universe is beyond my comprehension, beyond probably any of our monkeys' brains' comprehensions, yeah. right? We're just some hairless monkeys out here trying to figure it out, dude. And I think we are God. We are whatever the creator is as a collective. I don't know if this is true. I This is just, I don't know, pseudo bro science maybe. I don't know. So from my experiences, I feel very much along the same lines as you. And I feel like, you know, we look to find like a, a higher power in the sense of it's God or it's uh, aliens or it's nature or it's something completely completely different or just the energy of the universe and i really feel like all the things i just explained are essentially the same thing and it's just whatever way we look at it if you believe in god it's just another form of believing in the aliens or the higher power and the architects of everything or that the energy in the universe essentially whatever we choose to believe in is the real thing yeah, but it's all the same. No matter what way you describe it, it's all the same. It's all just energy. It's God's energy, aliens' energy, nature's energy, the interconnectivity of this carpet and the grass outside on the street, and you know this lamp that you've got here. Like I feel like everything's the same. And any time I've ever had like an experience where I've went into myself and tried to identify and separate myself and then like introduce thoughts of another person or another thing into that experience i've realized that you don't need to that that person is you you are that person and that it's all the same and um i've certainly had experiences of like enlightenment where I have like this very curious brain of like space, aliens, are they here, are they not here? So for me, any kind of experience of enlightenment I have, if I visualize it, it's always an alien being. Whereas I'm sure as if someone who is of Christian belief would see that as like the God. Right. So I feel like it's really just from your perspective, but we're all seeing the exact same thing. And uh, I've had like experiences where I've been like communicating with this alien being and asking like, am I okay? Like, am I good here? Like, am I doing a good job? And like, whatever it was, I can't quite quite describe, but he would just say, yes, you're, you're fine. You're doing great. Enjoy this life that you have right now. And when it's over, you'll come back with us and everything will be fine. And it was like super peaceful, super tranquil, like experience of just knowing that this life is essentially like a journey onto the next step whatever it is and maybe we come back again and do another journey and another journey or or it goes on to something else but i definitely feel 
same like you, that we are all connected and that mostly any kind of issues that we have with each other are issues that we have with ourselves and we're just kind of like, like projecting those mm -hmm. issues onto other people, you know? So uh, I feel like really kind of trying to embrace everyone, understand everyone from every different walk of life is like really the first kind of step in the way of having a good journey through this, whatever we're experiencing right now. Yeah. I think you, you nailed it or you, you touched on it is like going inward, that process of going inward. Yeah. Cause I, so many people are, we're going out, right. We're mm -hmm. looking for external things to help us understand the life that we're living. Like, why are we here? like to find some sort of fulfillment or satisfaction from external forces. Mm -hmm. But it, it, the real work is inward and not outward. And when you go in that introspective process, it's hard, right? Oh, you know, yeah. it's fucking terrifying, uh -huh. dude. you know, and cause because you have, to I don't want to expose myself to understand who I am to understand why I have all these problems and these issues and these questions and, it's scary, man, and it's infinite. It goes, it goes infinitely out into space, but it also goes infinitely in, inside into your heart, your soul, your being, your energy. And when you start to kind of journey inwards, it's, that's where it can get very scary. But also once you start to embrace that, man, it can become so enlightening. I feel like life, life truly starts when you go inward yeah. when you when you initiate that process for whatever reason like sometimes it's an external factor something kind of happens to you that like forces you to go inwards and you can you can have that experience and then you can ignore it and act like it never happened and continue on with your life or you can acknowledge that it happened and be like whoa I've got a lot of work to do and like, I need to go deeper. And I've found, I, you know, I've had that moment like that spark in the dark moment, right? That, Oh shit. I, I don't know jack shit, but that little light that flashed that let me know that I didn't know jack shit. I, I looked over in that direction and it, and it was brief. It was a glimpse, but I, now I knew what direction to kind of start going in. And then I'd head in that direction and another spark would go off and it would get me and I would start learning lessons. You know, it's like you said, having to learn shit about myself that I didn't want to learn. Cause now it's like, Oh, I am kind of an asshole sometimes, or, or maybe I am impatient or, or maybe I, I was dismiss, dismissive of this person's feelings. And it's like, well, why was I, or I'm the reason why there is this problem in my life. You know, like I wasn't able to obtain these goals because I am the true issue here, which I think ultimately when you do enough introspective work, there is ne no one ever is, there is no fault outside of yourself. All of the problems we have in our life start with us. And I learned, I thought when I was younger, I kind of went through this process and I learned a bunch of lessons and it really helped me to allow me to really propel to the next level of my life. And I got a lot of success after that happened. And I was like, man, I've kind of got this figured out. 
And, right. <laughs> and right when you think you got it figured out. <laughs> I love that you knew where that was going. As soon as you think, you, like, there was, like, a whole nother level of things. And a lot of the things that I had to learn, you know, this this next stage that I had to learn to get to the next level that I needed to get to were really it wasn't anything new. It was the same shit I had to learn, but the universe, the creator brought a new set of challenges to expose me, right? To expose my weaknesses, right? And like, that's why I say, if you have problem, a lot of people complain about the problems they have in their life. And it's like, if you have problems, then that means you're living, (laughs) you know? Like that's a sign of life is that you have, is to have problems. And truly, you should embrace, you should be happy that you have problems because your greater self is on the other side of those problems. If you embrace them and go inward and just don't run, you don't hide, you don't look for excuses or any pats on the back. You just look yourself in the mirror and just roll up your sleeves and get ready to do the work. I love it, dude. What a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that might be a good spot to end this. I, I think don't know. so, dude. Okay. Well, bro. Dan. I love you. I love you too, man. It's always a pleasure. I appreciate you doing this for me. I appreciate spending the time with you and having this great conversation. Dude, I would do this every day. Hell yeah. Yeah. Well, so if you ever want me to come back on with a guest, anything at all, I'm down, man. Hey, bro, we can do whatever. There's no rules to the show. <laughs> There's no it. rules here. So I love it. All right, brother. Yeah, congratulations, dude. Hey, congrats to you. Yeah. I love you. I appreciate you. Love you, buddy. Later.